0: Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems podcast, the voice of Man's Model Moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, and with me is my son, Oscar. In this episode, we'll be covering why we love Firestorm Armada, and talk a bit about the universe, races, background and flavour of the game. We'll take a look at how Firestorm sits at the moment, have a look at some of the races and speculate about what the future holds for it. First though, we're going to look at what we did over the past week. So Oscar, what have you been up
1: to? Oh, not much. Well, at school, we've been doing our science ICES, which is 25% of my grade, and uh, so I've been busy revising for that. So I haven't had much time to do anything else, really, so I've been away from modelling for most of the time. But uh, I did manage to take pictures of my orc army and put that up for for sale, so um, soon that is all to be gone.
0: Yes, so if you are looking for any 40k orcs, we have plenty of them. And you have been playing some PlayStation,
1: though. Well, Dad, I think <laughs> I, I suffer from PlayStation withdrawal symptoms if I don't.
0: And what have you been playing?
1: I've uh, just Last of Us, which is a post-apocalyptic game where zombies are everywhere. So you know pretty much where that's going. You know, you're running around with a shotgun.
0: <laughs> yes, well, I've been uh, I've been here and there on business, um, but when well at home, I've managed to get some painting done. So I did manage to airbrush my Halo Fleet Battles Covenant uh, until my Badger 150 broke. Somehow the tip just sheared off. No idea how that happened. But I did manage to order the part I needed so it was here when I got back. So actually I managed to finish the base coats on on those pretty well. I also did the same for my Invasion fleets. Uh, A hex outline effect on the Directorate tying with my main fleet. Um, But as you saw, I used a proper mask this time instead of the... uh, The girls' old fishing nets. (laughs) Uh, So my dendrons are in late World War II German tank colours. You've seen those.
1: Sort of suits their personalities, if you ask me.
0: (laughs) The Ralthasar are primed in my normal red oxide, ready for airbrushing their their camouflage. They're all up on the blog, if you want to take a look on those. Uh, We put those up a couple of weeks ago. As far as gaming goes, we did a bit of X-Wing about a week or so ago. Not a ton of anything else have we mainly due to time constraints
1: yeah well x wing is a very fast paced game, so it's nice to just play a little game in there, blow each other to pieces, and say well played
0: yeah, yeah, well it's about i think all of our games have been less than an hour, haven't they including setting up at the beginning, so you know it's uh, it's yeah, good for definitely that. it's good for that
1: not not to say it's not fun at all i mean we are we are tied in the galaxy at the moment with a win each we are we
0: are. I've managed to sell some of my old 40k stuff. As you mentioned, you've got your orcs up at the moment, um, but there's still a mountain of things that we've got to unload. So so yeah, if anybody's looking for any 40k stuff, we have plenty of Space Marines, we've got plenty of Eldar, have got a whole host of Dark Eldar, we've got masses of Tau, uh, orcs, chaos, demons, pretty much everything.
1: I think the one thing that we don't really have is Imperial Guard.
0: Yeah, I don't think they're even called Imperial Guard anymore
1: aren't they? Oh, God, well, no one really liked them anyway.
0: <laughs> oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Those people did.
1: Oh, we did. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay,
0: good. So let's crack on with this first real episode of the Hub Systems, uh, in which we're discussing the Spartan Games product called Firestorm Armada. Now, if you've listened to our pre-series Primer, the episode zero, you'll already know that we got into Firestorm as a bit of perfect storm between having a campaign going on in 40K, uh, looking into getting into... A space game to link the ground games and at the same time also becoming increasingly disenfranchised with, with Games Workshop, their business model 40k um, we did look at Battlefleet Gothic actually at the time but it was just it, it's not supported by Games Workshop it was pretty complex and Firestorm just happened to be there right place at the right time definitely so, definitely. Yeah, so I'd never heard of Firestorm or Spartan Games when we started, uh, had you?
1: Uh, No, not at all. I remember the the first time we heard about it, uh, actually I remember it quite clearly, you were bringing me home from school and you were telling me about the Aquans, which, as we all know, they are the fish people, and you were telling me about how their ships are full of water. So uh, we got home from then and you showed me all of the ships and we both thought they were very, very cool, so that's sort of where it started.
0: Yeah, and Spartans seem to have a very gamer-minded business model, so very low point of entry to get into the games. Uh, some nice rule mechanics, uh, including their, their pretty much their signature uh, thing, which is their exploding sixes, which we'll discuss at at some point. Maybe not today. Maybe in the next next episode.
1: Very fun though.
0: Yeah, and some very cool models. So tell me what you liked about Firestorm to start with, then Oscar.
1: Well, Firestorm. What really grabbed both of our attentions, or definitely grabbed mine, was the the quality and how cool the ideas for the models were. So the, as I said, the Aquans were the fish people, and uh, naturally I was drawn to them. And how cool they looked! Uh, it's it's the idea behind it, really. The whole universe is just so uh, beautifully made. The way you've got all of the different races, they tie into it completely, into each other. They, you know, it's great to really live the story of Firestorm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like the Ralthosa. Uh, they were my first fleet very different aesthetic to most spaceship models that you see out there the ships were vertically designed um which is quite nice they're an arachnid race and we'll talk a little bit more about the races in a minute but it was quite different and i like the idea i always i'm always the guy who go, tends to go for the the different the alien races the ones you know the non-human ones um so yeah the, just some of the concepts i think were quite were quite nice okay so in terms of background what the what Firestorm Armada is. How would you describe Firestorm Armada the game, Oscar?
1: Firestorm Armada is a very tactical game. So, in a core fleet you'll probably have about four or five squadrons of ships, varying from frigates to battleships. Now, the point of the game depends on the mission you are playing. This can vary from destroying your opponent's ships or capturing a main objective. So, the ships you have, you don't get back, obviously. The ships you have in Firestorm, they generally have quite a lot of health compared to the uh, to other games that you see out there. So if you want to destroy a battleship, you're going to have to hit it hard, so you're going to have to put all of your weapons, your firepower... in
0: Yeah, and also the, the damage system that Spartan uses um, means that you have a damage rating and a critical rating, and you actually have to exceed those thresholds to damage the model before you start taking hull points off. Now, uh, a typical battleship might have ten hull points, and it also has quite a high damage rating. So, to be able to take points off that battleship can take quite a long time. So, as Oscar said, you've got to devote a lot of firepower to doing that. Um, smaller ships require less. You can, you know, pop a frigate in in one one hit, um, if you, <laughs> depending on what ship you're firing at it, and how lucky you are. Um, so, there's a lot of tactics around movement around positioning you have different range bands for your weapons Um, you have different types of weapons they have different ranges as well so it's it's very much um, more of a game of chess i would say than something like x-wing which tends to be quite fast quite furious
1: Um, very very luck
0: based so obviously any game still has has luck Uh, firestorm uses exploding sixes which some people seem to think are less predictable and um, somehow introduce a greater element of luck than other games. But actually, this is for me, it's a bit of a false premise because exploding sixes, whilst they can get, you can get a big run. Um, the percentage of that are happening, the chances of that are happening, are very, very low. So when they do happen, they're very thematic, they're very cinematic. It gives you that great sense of, you know, the lucky shot from a frigate, you know, which is on one hull point to, to win the battle. But the times those happen, you know, maybe once every few years, you might get that kind of thing. Um, and actually, that's, there's a lot more granularity there because of the DR and CR ratings as well, so you have to breach those. Um, so, for instance, if you roll eight dice and have a runaway success and get 18 successes that's actually the same as if you've got 10 successes against the battleship because of these thresholds. So actually that takes out a lot of that variability. And if you look at other games like Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, that just use a single D6, the lowest granularity you have there is 16.67%. So there's always a 16.67% of a critical failure, you know, rolling a 1, or a critical success, rolling a 6. Um, the chances of rolling multiple sixes all in a row start to diminish into the 1%, 0.5%, you know, those sort of really tiny amounts. So they're very memorable, uh, but you've got to think about the number of dice you're rolling, the number of times you roll that, that these thematic events happen. They're dramatic, they're interesting, but I think that's what gives part of the flavour of the game, for me,
1: anyway. Definitely, definitely. Like, the exploding sixes, is, uh, like you say, very, very rare, which, not to say that they don't happen, all the time in our case but it is always very very fun when you get loads of sixes and something explodes
0: yeah absolutely it's you know rolling those two dice especially if you get the critical hit table you know getting the double one you know which is oh. the, the core reactor failure which doesn't guarantee the destruction of a ship but it's it's gonna hurt it's gonna um, hurt a lot yeah unless you're lucky and happen to roll because you're 2d3 um a critical hit is normally two whole points. Um, you can roll two, so it can just be a normal hit. But the the odds are against you, um, unless I'm rolling them, and then sometimes it does happen that way. Yeah. So Firestorm is it's a tactical space combat game. I, I think that's probably how you could you could sum it up. Um, and it's a pretty grand scale uh, games take anything from sort of two to four hours. So it, it's not a short game. It's not like X-wing. Um, it is quite involved. Um, I would say it's more on the scale of something like Zombie Side, which, although some of those missions say they're sort of ninety minutes to two hours, we tend to find they they do actually they go lose. on longer. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. Um, well, they do if you're successful. That game where we played where we torn oh, pieces.
1: That was oh yeah, lasted that didn't about last twenty five minutes, minutes. didn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so
0: Firestorm is quite a grand sweeping um, game. You know, as you might guess from the the name, the Armada theme sort of gives you the idea that it is there's quite a lot of ships involved so the current version is generally referred to as version 2.0 we actually got into Firestorm at version 1 so version 1 was a little bit different, uh, a little bit um, rough around the edges I would say Um, we then had version 1.5 in 2012 which solved some of the Uh, the issues, I wouldn't say issues, but there were certain certain areas of the game which weren't really rounded out um, in the same way that that they are today. 1.5 took some of those but some things were still not quite right so wings didn't work very well, mines were still very weak and Spartan did quite a a nice thing, they had a big beta testing group for version 2, we were lucky to be part of that and really took on a lot of ideas and um, came up with some really nice nuances in the game and version 2 now has been around for a couple of years it's pretty robust uh, there have been a couple of erratas uh, in that time really just polishing those edges off but overall it's a very balanced uh, a very rounded and and quite mature game now at least at least that's what I uh, i see from it
1: definitely they've they've definitely just polished it off they they sh- don't really need to change anything else i mean of course it, the universe is constantly expanding as we all know but um now the rule set is very nice it's just kind of you know the gold label on the whole game
0: we talked a little bit about we're not going to really talk about too much uh firestorm in terms of the game and the rules this episode um this is very much going to be more about the the flavor of the game some of the races there the ongoing struggle the kind of background of fluff behind behind that Um, really to give people an idea that have maybe heard a little bit about firestorm in the past and i thought maybe i need to just know a little bit more about it um, before we really commit into to getting into the game you know and also maybe i don't know what factions there are i don't know what to choose so perhaps we can give people a little bit of a, a flavor of what's you know, what those races are, what their drivers are, uh, and the universe as a whole. In terms of the background story, uh, we have two main factions in the Firestorm universe. They are the Alliance of Kurek, and they comprise the core races. So there are six core races. They comprise three of the core races, the Terran Alliance, the Cyrilians and the Aquan Subrutan. Then we have the other side of this uh, conflict, which is the Xenian League, and the Xenian League comprises of three of the core races, and that is the Dindrenzi Federation, the Directorate, and the Ralthosa. Now, as well as those major races, so those are the major galactic powers. There are also some other smaller races, which may still be very powerful, but they have sort of loosely aligned with one of the factions or they've signed up in terms of being mercenaries, and there are then the usual assortment of crooks and uh, hangers-on that you get in, in any conflict as well. So we'll get a little bit into to those as well, but first of all, we'll think, just go through the, the core races and, uh, and speak a little bit about, uh, about them. So if we start off with the Alliance of Kurak, and the major protagonist here is the Terran Alliance, or as it used to be known, uh, the Terran Commonwealth, or the, the Terran Satellite Charter. So the Terran Alliance are basically humans that are expanded from Terra, from Earth, so they are our far future uh, descendants, um, and they expanded out into the universe, colonising as they went. Now they found uh, an anomaly, uh, which turned out to be a wormhole, uh, a wormhole gate, and uh, that brought them through to meet what they thought at the time were the Ceruleans, actually the Saurians. And they're both reptilian races, which is why they, they got a little bit confused. And the Saurians explained that they had constructed these gates, uh, that they were very old, and they shared with them the, the knowledge of that. And so Terrans expanded and eventually met the Ceruleans. Didn't go very well, there was a, a little bit of a conflict and uh, they eventually negotiated a, a peace between them.
1: Okay, so this peace treaty meant that the Terrans could expand even further, which meant they could expand into Fathom's Reach, which is where they finally found the race of the Aquans, who were very, very hyper-intelligent. But unlike the Terrans, uh, they still had no uh, faster-than-light drives, so they were still not as far-expanded as those two races. Um, as the Terrans further realised then, uh, was that the Ceruleans and the Aquans were also in a conflict towards the beginning.
0: Yeah, so the Aquans and the Ceruleans had been at war uh, hundreds of years before, uh, but they, neither aside possessing at that time uh, very sophisticated methods of, of crossing stellar distances, It was a very drawn-out, protracted, and not very conclusive battle. So they they eventually just settled down to uh, a sort of mutual distrust. Um, When the Terrans came along, it sort of gave them an opportunity to have... They both agreed the Terrans could expand in the space between their spaces to form a sort of buffer between them. So that's the part of space in the Firestorm universe known as Fathom's Reach. So the the Terrans expanded through there to the Outer Reach, where they discovered a a great abundance of of planets uh, with very rich resources on them. Um, Some of them were quite hostile, um, but the people that went out there, the pioneers, had a real frontier spirit. So the Ceruleans actually had worked with the Terrans to produce uh, fold space drives. Um, Now the Ceruleans didn't really see much use in them themselves, because they had their wormhole networks. Uh, but the Terrans utilised them to expand very rapidly through the Fathom's Reach area into the Outer Reach, and they colonised the area extremely quickly. And when the Ceruleans saw how successful that had been, they started to adopt them. Uh, Terrans also gave them to the Aquans, and also uh, the Saurians, who they'd originally met, had also given shield technology to Terrans, which had helped them uh, expand as well. So. Terrans had really then overtaken uh, all these races in terms of the the volume of space that they actually controlled. The Terrans had this vast area, uh, it was all still controlled from Terra. Um, The Terran navy settled any disputes that arose. Um, But as they started to expand, the frontiers started to expand into the Outer Reach, they started to find other races, one of whom was the Ralthosa. Um, now, the those are an extremely aggressive species, we'll get to those in the end, and basically humans are settled on a planet that they had already claimed themselves, and so they attacked it, um, and a war ensued, and those frontiersmen asked for help from Terra. Now, Terra really wasn't interested in sending fleets all the way out there to support these, these frontiersmen, and they thought they'd let them sort it out for themselves. All they were really interested in were the flow of materials back into terror. So this time the satellite chart had become quite corrupt and quite bureaucratic. You know, it was very large, difficult to, to manage uh, empire then. A bit like the British Empire, um, sort of at, at, its, at its zenith and start of the fall. Now those people, um, those frontiersmen, decided they didn't like this. And led by um, the Rents family, uh, they decided that enough was enough. So the Ralthos that had fought over the, the Thessaly systems, which they believed that were theirs and the humans had settled on, uh, Terra really wasn't interested in trying to, to sort it out for them. Uh, and it dragged on quite a long time. So Terra was only interested in the flow of materials, really, back from the Outer Reach to Terra. And the Rents family, a very influential um, family within the the group of, Uh, pioneers um, was led by a guy called ignatius rents they basically had an economic rebellion they basically started to impose a tax uh, for everything that went back to terror which the Terrans didn't like so this was really the the birth or the very first rumblings of the start of the dindrenzi federation which we'll come back to at the start of the the xenian um, section of this this podcast So basically you've got the the Terran Alliance, it's this big, um, bureaucratic, corrupt, but very large and still quite wealthy uh, empire. Um, It's called an alliance, Um, it was called a commonwealth, it was very much an empire. We mentioned a couple of different races there, the Ceruleans and the Aquans, those two races that are the core races that are part of the the Alliance of Korak. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about the the Aquans, Oscar, as they're your uh, first true love in in Firestorm.
1: Exactly. They are amazing. Well, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) Because we know I'm right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so tell us a little bit about your squiddy friends then.
1: So the Aquins started off as a very exploratory race. They, they were very kind. They didn't they were not a warfaring race. They were very based on exploring into other systems and colonizing worlds and uh, progressing in science. So the main squid aquans are the Sazani, and they are hyper-intelligent squids in simple terms. And uh, to do everything that they wanted to do, they created a subspecies.
0: Yes, so they created the Cerani which are basically so the Cerani are are huge. They're giant um, cephalopods. So travelling around the galaxy isn't really the the easiest thing for them. So they created sort of miniature versions of themselves to do all of the, as the sort of first level servitor race um, that could then do lots of this other stuff, but still be, they're sort of telepathically linked um, as most of the the Aquans
1: uh, are. So yeah, like you say, they uh, it's very difficult for giant squids to go about their business doing everything that they wanted to do in exploratory terms. So they created subspecies to do the mining work for them, to man the spaceships, to do the whole industry kind of thing. So while this was going on, they were expanding and then just doing their things. Like, as we mentioned in talking about the Terran Alliance, uh, the Aquans had not got uh, fold space drives until they met the terrans
0: and that was quite a, a change because the just to put some timelines on this the aquans started becoming a spacefaring race at around about the time of the pyramids on earth so they were doing this thousands of years before and the Serani are incredibly long-lived they didn't need faster than light travel they just had colony ships that went out and very slowly expanded. You know, they're not an aggressive species. They're sort of going around thinking about stuff, collecting things. Uh, They have this great biological manipulation of everything. You know, if they need something, they create a species to do it. So sort of like these scientific squids going out and uh, finding what they can about the universe.
1: So this all changed for the Aquans when they first met the Terrans. Now, the first contact with the Terrans was quite rough let's say a few small wars broke out as they tried to push these people away from their territory but the Akron's noticed that the humans would not give up easily and they were worried that their territories were going to be massed by the humans so to the Akron's relief the Terrans were open to compromise and soon the wars started to die down and they became they had a mutual trust
0: actually some of the humans didn't want to leave the the Akron territory and uh... They actually became part of the, the Aquan Empire later on as the Turkai. So these are humans now living under Aquan rule.
1: After a short amount of time, the Aquans and the Terrans built a strong relationship up. They had strong trust with each other, so this meant that they shared technology with each other. So they both had fold space drive, shields. So uh, this really, they really helped each other when a war did break out, and they did offer to help each other in the Alliance.
0: And also, due to no small part in the fact that uh, the Directorate, who again we will come into on the Xenian part, have been harassing the Aquans for, for quite some time. Okay, so that brings us then to the last of the three core races in the Alliance of Korak, the Lizard People, the Ceruleans. Indeed. So the Ceruleans are like the boring guys, yeah?
1: <laughs> yeah, very, very boring, very like, they're mathematicians. They very forward thinking straight to the point don't like conversation
0: they're engineers uh, and everything about them tends to be quite reticent they're made up of different strains so you have uh, three main strains of cerulean Uh, they used to fight and they were united together um, and they realized that um, fighting together made them much stronger than warring among themselves so you have three separate strains of Cerulean, three main strains. The Conovar, who are like the not-that-bright-but-really-heavy-workers um, strain. They're huge dinosaur guys. Uh, the Slivar, who are the, the real thinkers, the really clever ones, the little wiry salamandry types. And then the Skvar, who are halfway between them. And they're the ones that eventually united the three warring factions in a great war which took place thousands of years ago called the Great Rending. Um, And they ended, really, because they'd just spent themselves, they were all sick of fighting, and the Skavar were able to to sort of uh, tie them together then. And then they started the first Grand College of Ages, you know, set up this very rigorous, mathematical, engineering, sort of quite stoic society.
1: Yeah. Like you say, with the three working together, they had the brute force, they had the brains, and they had the numbers to pretty much conquer anything. Yeah.
0: So they're quite a... They're not, not particularly the most exciting, dynamic um, thinkers, even though <laughs> they were the ones that came up with the theories, and et cetera, behind false space drives. Um, they didn't actually want to use it. They were worried that it might tear space... Uh, and they really worked with the Terrans to do it, and then gave it to the Terrans. They weren't interested in it to start with. It was only when the Terrans really started racing ahead that they thought actually there probably is something in in using these things.
1: Definitely, they they got a little bit jealous. <laughs>
0: yes. So civilians can be quite slow to react to to a lot of change. You know, they don't like change a lot. They they like everything to be grounded. You know, and some of that comes through in, in the way they play. Um, but then, in other ways, you know they have some of the fastest small ships. um they have great strength in numbers there, so you know they're quite an interesting bunch of lizards as well.
1: You can definitely see that they don't like change just by looking at their ships. Basically, if you know it's a cerulean ship, it is it's a cylinder with guns and a big engine. but as you say, they're very fast actually. If you've got something that's big though, don't expect it to move much.
0: No, that's true. On the opposite side of this equation, we have the Xenian League, hurrah! Um, you have the the noble Dindrenzi Federation. So, we talked a little bit about the uh, the Terran Alliance, who basically had put crushing taxes on all of these outer reach um, frontiersmen, and when the frontiersmen said we'd had enough, put these economic sanctions in place. Uh, the Terrans basically sent a fleet to to give him a bit of a whooping uh, and tell him to stop. That was fine, and everything went back to, to normal. That was called the First Secession War. Let's toddle on for a little bit, and then it happened again, basically. Uh, the Second Secession War uh, came about the Dindrenzi home planet of Dramos was destroyed in a nuclear holocaust. Uh, where the Terrans basically orbitally bombarded the planet with nuclear weapons, uh, destroying all life, which kind of smarted a little bit. <laughs> and uh, although it was meant to crush the will of the uh, the Dindrenzi Federation, it didn't.
1: I don't blame them. I'd be a little bit ticked if one planet was destroyed completely.
0: Yes, if my homeworld was destroyed, I'd probably be upset too. So the Dindrenzi again, by their time... And the recent conflict is the Third Secession War. This is where the Dindrenzi have marshaled their forces. They've got all of their their cards in place and they've launched a, a blitzkrieg-style attack into Terran space. Although the Terrans have a lot of ships and a huge navy and their allies, they've only been able to sustain the current front with the use of their allies and draining a lot of resource. So the, the Dindrenzi military was much better prepared for this offensive, even though it has sort of gone into a bit of a stalemate. So the Dendrenzi are known as quite a dour people. They're frontiersmen. They're used to hard life on hard planets. They're very functional. Uh, their original spaceships were you know, mining ships, uh, and they adapted their weapons from mining weapons in the first place. Uh, so they're probably not that much fun at parties. Um, but they have a very organized, very rigorously structured military, so they're quite a quite a good engine of war in that respect.
1: Yeah, their their soldiers are all very elite, so that comes through in game as well. Their ships are very... everyone's trained to, so they know what they're doing.
0: Yep, so they have a fleet tactics bonus of plus three, which is the highest uh, available. And just to give you a bit of a context on that, the Ceruleans have a fleet tactics bonus of one, so... You know, that sort of represents their very rigid uh, and inflexible command structures. The Dindrenzi didn't get to where they they are, though, and be able to to persecute the war that they they are currently doing by themselves. A lot of the the help they've had is from the Directorate. Now, the Directorate are the closest thing to a truly evil faction in this game.
1: I think a closer thing would be saying is just, they're the closest thing to demons, hell on earth.
0: (laughs) well the the Directorate is I'm sure something that everybody can can uh, relate to these days it's a super umbrella corporation it's the ultimate expression of capitalism everything is done for profit uh, the fleets are all run by corporations um, life for the the rich the managers the directors is blissful um, the population of their their homeworld has about. I think there's less than a billion people on. So it's a paradise.
1: Because it's just rich corporation leaders living the dream.
0: Yep. Life for everybody else is pretty hellish in the Directorate. Um, so they're, they've basically lied their way into the position they're in at the moment. Uh, in the prior Secession War, they promised to help the Terran Alliance if the Terrans would give them their own area of space, which the Terrans did. They then betrayed the Terrans, and supported the dindrenzi federation which they've been doing ever since they raid the aquans for uh, their technology for biological samples they use biological weapons they they just generally nasty there's, there's nothing that they won't do to get their end which is usually
1: profit and to put this into context of uh they will do anything you don't want to be kidnapped by the directorate because the backstories have it that if you are kidnapped, you are literally made into a biological weapon. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so the Aquans have their flippers cut off and scissors sewn on in place and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: <sighs> Nasty horror film stuff.
0: <laughs> so if you like playing a, a completely immoral, almost amoral faction, um, then the directorate are the guys for you. They, they use a lot of Technology—they're the ultimate magpies. They'll steal from whatever if there's if there's money in it, they'll do it. Um, but they'll still maintain the company face, of course. You know that they, they aren't they aren't thieves and robbers outwardly, even if they're uh, they might be behind closed doors.
1: So you be careful. This will be Amazon in a few years. <laughs>
0: yeah, Google. <laughs> so the last of the six core races are the Raltheza. So the Ralthosa are the protagonists of the Thessaly War. Uh, when, they, when the human settlers went down exploring the Outer Reach, they came across these, these arachnids, uh, these spider-like aliens. Huge as well. 18, 20 feet or more, these things. Massively um, imposing creatures. Uh, but they're not dumb bugs. They're not, uh, uh, as Oscar would say, they're not Starship Troopers arachnids.
1: Yes, definitely go and see that because it is very like the war between the Terrans and the Ralthosa.
0: <laughs> so the the uh, the Ralthosa, as I say, they, they're not dumb bugs. So the Ralthosa are one of the most technologically advanced races in Firestorm. They use a lot of nanotechnology. Uh, they use that for cloaking. So they're masters of ambush technology. Um, they're not the toughest ships that uh exist in the firestorm universe uh, it
1: doesn't matter because half the time you don't know where they are
0: yeah they they're really they're probably the hardest race to play uh, if you're starting off they've got some really cool background they've got some really cool ships some cool abilities but if you don't use them right then you'll get pasted and sometimes that's not very fun you know certainly if you're learning a game um I didn't have any expectations when I came to Firestorm so playing the Ralthoza I, I really didn't know you know, whether it was good or bad um, and I fell in love with them so that was that was fine but um, that's just a kind of a, a word of warning playing Ralthoza is tricky but if you know how to play them they're extremely difficult to face uh, very frustrating for an opponent when you know, they've got a big handful of dice cloaking devices make it extremely hard for them to do damage because they halve that pool of dice so if you've got twenty attack dice, which is enough to put a critical hit on any ship in the game, suddenly you're rolling ten, which probably isn't enough. Sorry. So the Raelthos have a very structured and hierarchical society. So it's a very matriarchal society. Uh, they have brood queens. Uh, the warriors are the only males, and they have various different uh, levels of of handmaidens and uh, sort of the smaller ones that do all the menial tasks and stuff. Uh, and i say a lot of nanotechnology so it's not just like a hive mind They're not like the tyranids in 40k or the bugs out of starship troopers they are individuals um but that are working in really an imperial structure it's an empire okay so we have the, the those six main core races in these two opposing factions the alliance of Korak, the bad guys as i will say <laughs> led by the terrans and the Xenian League, who most people think are the bad guys, but that's because of the Directorate, they're really the good guys. They're fighting for freedom.
1: As we can see, my dad's mind is plagued with the false truth. <laughs> so
0: one of the good things, one of the other appealing things for me about Firestorm Armada is there's it a lot of ambiguity. There is no, these are the guys in white, and these are the guys in black. You know, uh, These are the goodies, these are the baddies. It's, all of the factions have good and bad about them. You know, none of them you can look at and say, possibly with the exception of the directorate, uh they are truly evil. You know. Uh most of them believe that they're doing the right thing for their their race.
1: I think we can put one exception on the Aquins. They've they've pretty much got a good track record.
0: Well, I don't know. You know, creating these servitor races. Ah, uh, I, I do they things. do
1: play god a bit, don't yeah, they? I guess.
0: Yeah. So you also have some minor races in here as well. Uh if we just quickly quickly go through those on the alliance of kurok side you have we've already mentioned the turkai so the turkai are the humans that refused to leave the aquan worlds that they'd already settled and had those little wars over they decided they wanted to stay and they were okay with living under aquan governance so they represent sort of a a breed of human that lives side by side with the aquans they've adopted a lot of their culture they have their own unique sort of play style they have their own ships their own little empire in there so sort of a a hybrid between the aquans and and the terran alliance which is which is quite nice you also have the terrakians so the terrakians are an ancient race nobody knows really where they came from they're quite mysterious they use gravity weapons which are some quite rules evading uh, <laughs> weapons can... in the game
1: Again, if if you're starting off, they're probably not the best race to pick up straight away.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the minor races, I would say, are ones you could probably grow into. There are, I mean, there are some exceptions. I guess I mean, Hawker. The Hawker are oh, they're nice, nice. If you like the the Terrans Directorate, so Hawker Industries are a big corporation, um, a bit like one of the big defense contractors in the U.S. You know, General Dynamics or, or something like that. If they exist anymore, I don't know. Boeing, you know, these, these kind of companies that do a lot of the government defence contracts. Hawker Industries are very much like that. Uh, they've got some, some pretty, but they're quite traditional. Uh, so some of their stuff is quite old-fashioned, even if it's rugged, and they're sort of just getting up to speed in the current war.
1: Not to say that they're not dangerous. They're packed with loads of munitions. They've got tons of shields, so don't underestimate them.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things as well we haven't mentioned with the... Well, we mentioned it once with the, the scourge of Dramos in the fact that Terrans and Hawker use nuclear weapons a lot. Uh, the only other race that uses nuclear weapons are the Ceruleans uh, because actually they're very resistant to radiation. So, you know, it's all about the, the yield. It makes mathematical sense. But the Terrans are the only guys who start slinging nukes around. So, you know,
1: that's not very nice.
0: Just, just got to say it.
1: Well, well, you know it's effective,
0: <laughs> so we have the Ryushi uh, the Ryushi have a lot of carrier based craft uh, some quite nice models. won't say too much more about the the Ryushi just now. You also have uh, the Zelosians, who are another both them and the Ryushi are sort of a migrant race or migrant races, no real homeworld in part because of some of the actions of some of the uh, Xenian League races current events. <laughs> And you also have the Vaedrith, who, ah. <laughs> who are giant star dragons.
1: And they have, let's say, an unstable relationship with the Terrans, but uh, overall a very, very cool side faction.
0: Yeah, the Vaedrith used to predate... Well, they used to be raiders on some of the, the human colonies, and rumoured rumored to eat a lot of people, and eventually were bought off with their relationship with Hawker Industries, with technology and food possibly
1: grown organ implant things so
0: they're, they're a bit of a dubious addition to the alliance of kurak i think
1: <laughs> stop eating our people and we'll give you weapons
0: <laughs> uh, and vat grown livers <laughs> oh
1: it's yeah very nasty but they are they're very good they're very hit and run uh flea tactics
0: yeah they they, they have a good relationship with the Ceruleans as well they're both sort of reptilian type races so they get on well with them and then on the other side on the xenian league side you have some minor races as well you have the bakash and the bakash are the the raider faction for the for the xenians they used to plague the ceruleans they infiltrated their wormhole network they raided the aquans uh they're vicious they've got some quite cool uh, mechanics on their ships again we won't really get into too much of this uh, here but again they complement uh, the ralphosa quite well uh, and they're a natural sort of enemy to the civilians. You have the Kadorians, who I would say are almost the Terrakians for the Xenian League. They do some. They're quite mysterious. They have these sort of circular city like ships uh, which zip around using strange technology.
1: I think the most, the most powerful thing about them is their uh, all arc firing, which makes them very dangerous.
0: Yep, they have no real weak quarter. They can do it. Yeah, they, they've got lots of nasty tricks. You have, of course, the Rent System Navy. So we mentioned Ignatius Rents and his uh, grandson, Marcus Rents, who, again, led a lot of this, the Dindrenzi's uh, rebellion against the Terran Alliance. The Rents System Navy is basically a private army, uh, which has been sort of elevated almost to elite status. It's a bit like the Waffen-SS, the, uh, as they were to the, the German Wehrmacht. They, they sort of get really cool toys of their own, they're all very elite, but they're quite fanatical.
1: And they're about ten times more evil than the Dindrenzi Federation. I don't know, they're not evil, they're
0: just, they have a lot of self-belief.
1: <laughs> hmm. Well, the Dindrenzi Federation, they have the grudge against the Terran for blowing up the homeworld, as rightly so, but... The rent System Navy they want to see terror burn burn in hell for what they did yeah
0: yeah that that's true, so the Dindrenzi really are very pragmatic, so they want to fight the war to claim their independence It's like the American War of Independence, they don't really care what happens in Britain, they just want to be free of British taxes, whereas yeah, you're right, the rent System Navy have that grudge to burn they they like Khan in the wrath of Khan, they want to see Jim Kirk dead, you know <laughs> and uh, they public, won't stop at
1: anything. No,
0: they won't stop. Uh, but I don't know about evil. Truly evil, now we come on to the last of the Xenian the League factions, Works Raptor. Here we go. So the directorate is actually composed of three super companies. They're the main ones, and then a whole lot of smaller uh, companies that, that either report into those or are separate. Uh, Melcon, Hark Williams, and Works Raptor. So Works Raptor is the uh, is the first... Uh, weapons manufacturer they're the guys who helped weaponize the pioneers uh, original mining ships against the ralphosa that's what they do they make weapons (laughs) and weapons in all forms so they're quite a small faction they have pretty deadly ships they're very very mono-purposed they work well with other ships if you just get a works raptor fleet it can be it has a few tricks but if you work them out you can get get rid of them but yeah they are those ships even look nasty, don't they?
1: They're, they're very evil. They're sleek. Uh, you've painted yours black, which gives them, again, the very ominous evil look about them.
0: Yeah, I think actually most of them, most of the ones I've seen are painted
1: black or dark colours. Black, yeah, yeah, exactly. It suits them <laughs> very well.
0: Yeah. So those are the, the sort of wider expanded factions. So if you're getting into Firestorm, you know, I would say choose a fleet that you like the look of choose a faction that you like the kind of general background for um, because you can always ally in you don't have to play a pure race you don't have to play just terrans you can play terrans with hawker Uh, you can play terrans with aquans it limits some of your options on some of those that you take Um, but generally speaking you've got quite a a wide you know smorgasbord of uh, of ships at your disposal add into that you also have what's known as the marauders and mercenaries which are a a ragtag group of things which will ally to anybody given the right amount of money so you have the pure mercenaries who are the the orishan who are a a warrior race uh, of mercenaries effectively they will they will work for anybody they used to work a lot for the directorate the directorate has found other friends to to do deal business with (laughs) (laughs) who are cheaper so they're up for hire for for anybody so you can
1: very, very cool ships, very, like, future tech ships.
0: Yeah, they, they have a very unique aesthetic, I think. That's uh, that's definitely true. You also then have Omnidine, or OSO as they're now known, Omnidine Special Operations, uh, and they're a splinter of the directorate. They're another one of these, these companies in the directorate. They were a minor one. They had a, a, a super weapon which went wrong um, and created what is now known as the Pathogen. Um, we'll come to that last. Um, and then they discovered that actually there were a whole bunch of pirates and mercenaries called the Corsairs, another faction, and they can use them. They're cheaper than these, these old mercenaries, these professionals, the, the Orishan. Uh, they'll do anything for some old weapons, you know, some out-of-date, <laughs> out-of-date ammo that we've got. So Omnidine started this group called Omnidine Special Operations and got very big. So it's a rival to Works Raptor, even though they work for the Directorate. Omnidyne used to owe Works Raptor a lot of money. Uh, it doesn't anymore because it managed to pay off its debts. That's not what Works Raptor wanted. Works Raptor wanted to acquire Omnidyne in a hostile takeover, which it's no longer able to <laughs> do. So you have the Corsairs there that I mentioned. They're basically pirates. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this, there's no other way to say it, is it? They're pirates. No, not really. <laughs> They're pirates that Omnidyne have basically given better weapons to and get them to do all their dirty work, all the all the jobs that nobody else will do, Omnidyne will pay the Corsairs to do.
1: The real scum of the galaxy.
0: Yeah, real scum. Anybody can take these... They are more closely aligned with the Xenian League, but they will work for the Kurak Alliance as well. On the Alliance of Kurak sort of side, although anybody can take them, you have STL, the Syndicated Traders League, which is a, a merger of what used to be the Syndicate, who are basically the Mafia, and uh, but who have some very, very cool-looking ships, as you very. might expect. Yeah. <laughs> and the Traders League, who are like a bunch of traders. you
1: know. That's really all there
0: is to say. Yeah, so they've got cheap, crappy ships, but they've got a lot of them and you know syndicate invested heavily shall we say in the traders league to franchise them give them a bit of protection and now you have the syndicated traders league which is a lot more powerful and does a lot of the smuggling and undercurrent stuff that the syndicate wants done Um, the work
1: that never really happened
0: yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) all those garbage disposal routes across the galaxy that are very lucrative
1: Oh yeah, there's uh, lots of those Yeah,
0: and uh, <laughs> so the Syndicate managed to embed itself quite closely with the uh, with the Terran Alliance doing that, but it will sell its services to anybody so you have this these bunch of scum, as Oscar said, uh, who will work for anybody, and they're sort of aligned with one or both of the factions um, but in fact anybody can take them they just cost a little bit more and then I mentioned the pathogen Ah! <laughs> so Omnidyne, when it was just Omnidyne, did some tests of a new superweapon, a nanovirus. And it went wrong big time and created, instead of disabling the ships it was aimed at, it created this new life form, uh, which is sort of a a cybernetic, organic hybrid. And it's that thing, it's like the flood, it's like uh, all those kind of tropes that you've seen. It's very similar to that, and it's expanding. It's expanding out of the
1: rift in which it was tested. At a really unsteady and scary rate. Yep.
0: And I've played a couple of games with the with the pathogen.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ. There is no way of doing anything against them.
0: They are scary. You have to kill them from range. Don't let them get close. They will infect other ships. They're the only They play absolutely uniquely in Firestorm, uh, and we'll talk about this next week. They're the only faction in the game that can... Not only take over your ships, but then mutate them and make them part of their own fleet. So they can actually multiply during a game. They can get stronger. So the Firestorm is usually an attritional game. So you start off with a strong fleet, you crash together, you wipe out lots of stuff. And it's usually who manages to get the objectives or limp out uh, and manage to get most battle log before losing your own ships. So there's... You know,
1: the- you, you cross the the ships off the blackboard and that's it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and you know once losing ships costs a lot you know it's often better to try and escape the battlefield and save some of those points than to try and fight to the bitter end so there's there's quite a lot of nuance to it and trying to gauge that and trying to actually do it because as soon as one tries to go of course it draws a lot of fire to try and kill it before it leaves um, but it's very attritional so you, you tend to go down and down in power the pathogen are almost the opposite they start off, and they're quite a weak fleet. Their guns aren't very good, you know. They have quite short ranges, but once they have very, very strong assaulting powers, they can board your ships, uh, which is quite close range. But if they do that, then those ships can then work for you during the game. So they tend to get stronger, uh, or at least they tend to balance off their losses, which of course, in a nutritional game, makes them relatively stronger compared to you as the game progresses. So. They're a scary fleet to face, <laughs> because you know that as well, because you know if I get too close, I could lose my battleship, and then it will fight against me.
1: And you talk about accommodating for the losses on the pathogen side, but there are really hardly any losses on the side of the pathogen. They're very difficult to face. Yeah,
0: definitely. Okay, so we talked a little bit about some of the, the flavour of Firestorm, some of the factions, and some of the bits of their playstyle and, and things behind that. What are things that stand out for you, Oscar? What do you like about Firestorm?
1: What I really like about it is how all of the races just link together so perfectly and how they're all involved in each other in some way, shape, or form. So there isn't part of the Firestorm universe which you can't really get stuck into and really enjoy and get into the feel of it.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I think, you know, people that have been involved in the game for a long time talk about, you know, we need more background. And I don't disagree with that. But I think actually there is quite a good established universe there. You know the feel of the fleets is is very much there. The feel of how the races act and interact, as you said, it is pretty solid. And uh, for me, I really like the as I said the ambiguity in some of the races. You know that there isn't this just very straightforward good versus evil. Both sides can argue that they have uh, a premise for being right. You know all of the individual factions have done bad things or if not bad things they have dubious parts of them
1: <laughs> definitely definitely yeah and i think it's really great how you can expand the whole universe with the minor races such as the um, terracians so it's not just your six main core races as you you have in a, a lot of other war games
0: yeah yeah no, i think you're right i think it's if you're ever bored of your particular play style, so say you're playing the ralphosa and you know it's very ambush style you've got to time your your cloaking right when to drop those cloaks you drop them too early you can really mess yourself up it's nice to be able to play a completely different but allied fleet so say you can put bakash in with your Ralthosa, and they give you completely different style of play you know it's really nice to be able to do that i think and sort of change up your options change the way that your fleet plays you know it gives you a different experience and it also keeps your opponent guessing you know you're not just playing oh, I'm playing terrans I know how to face them well okay now you've got terrans they've got some Orishan with them ah now what do i do with these you know maybe exactly. i've not, I've not seen opened,
1: that come up it opens up tons and tons of possibilities
0: yeah yeah so i agree i think that's a really nice a nice part of it uh, plus of course the models are
1: superb uh, yes the models are completely first class
0: it's something we've not really mentioned to date but uh, spartan do all of their their sculpting in, in cad um and the transition i think from the cad designs um which you know like i said the Ralthosa have a or originally had a very vertical whole structure and that's adapted and evolved over time which i think is good i think it's a good part of that definitely um, definitely. but i've not seen that before um likewise the bakash have a very unique style and look and spartan are getting better at doing this all the time i'm continually blown away with the molding now i know there's a guy called martin who's their production manager and he manages to translate some of uh the designers and um, there's two designers both of whom are called chris um who do a, an amazing job of creating these 3d objects but that's only part of it i think a lot of people today think oh well it's easy to design in cad and stuff even if you've got a talent for CAD design, getting that to a physical model, yes, you can 3D print it, but then how do you mould that? And that relationship, I think, with the production team and the design team, it's just phenomenal, some of the things they do. I really don't know how they mould some of the stuff they do, but the end result is, you get really, really nice models.
1: It, it is brilliant, just what you can do, and just having it in resin is is great, and actually the scale of some of the models we have misunderstood, a lot
0: yeah so that's a good point actually all of the the firestorm models are one ten thousandth scale an average model okay here we go i've got a Pacash cruiser just to hand actually so this model is it's about three and a half inches long it's about two inches wide by an inch and a half tall so it's got volume you know it's um it it's a pretty big ship and that's just a standard cruiser you know these aren't little tiny you know, white metal ships with a tiny bit of detail. This is a complex three-dimensional object which you know really benefits from from some good painting. So you can go mad on these things, but actually, it's got the detail that if you if you just paint this or spray it, put a wash on, do a dry brush, that'll really pull out the detail as well. So you don't need to be like a super modeler to make one of these things look look good. You know, it's not got a basic detail that you then have to you know use your painting skill with, but if you've got that painting skill, you can make absolutely masses of it, so I think the modelling side is a big part of it as well, you know, the visual appeal of the game is fantastic
1: Definitely, it's very enjoyable to do all the painting and the models Yeah.
0: Okay, so we've been speaking for about an hour now, so just a little bit of a flavour for you, why we enjoyed the game, uh, what we love about it so I think next time we'll pick up some of the mechanics and talk a little bit about that Definitely. Okay, so signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Alex and Oscar, we'll see you next time